All right, grab your smart device. If you're following along online, you can click on message notes. If you're in the room, go to onehopechurch.com if you want to follow along in detail. Unless you brought something to write on yourself, we didn't hand anything out to you in the room, but we normally would give you a worship guide that tells you a little bit more about our church. And so you're going to have to be tech savvy this week. You're going to have to go to onehopechurch.com, read a little bit more about how to get connected, how to find your way. But just want you to know today, we're delighted that you're here and we've got a lot available for you online to stay connected. We've been in an incredible season and an incredible, really challenging season for our church and really trying to connect and to move forward in this season. And I'm just so excited to have you here in person. Many of you know that we've been following along in a series called The Signature of God. We've simply been studying the importance of actually realizing that God has signed his name on every single one of our lives. Our key verse for the series is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's going to be on screen. I want to ask you guys to help me preach today, okay? I just want you to know you're in person and, and, and you're in person today. I'm glad to have you. But that for many, many weeks, I've been imagining an amazing amen corner in church. And so I've been imagining that you're on the other side of the screen, typing amen, shouting in your living room. Anybody doing that? Come on now. So, so today, now you're in person and you need to live up to my imagination. That's all I'm saying. You're going to have to get with a program. If that's new for you, this is a bit of a conversation. You notice I don't have a podium. I'm, there's, there's really just a stage to make it easier for me to communicate with you. So a little talk back is good. Amen, everybody? All right, y'all are doing better than the other service already. I like you, all right? Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Verse is gonna be on screen. Would you read it full voice? Come on, every person, every room, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You're God's masterpiece. Imagine that. Some of us, you know, uh, we look at ourselves differently than the way God looks at us, but he is a master artist. He is a master painter, and he put you together just the way that you are. I love this thought because it's so encouraging. It builds confidence in our lives. And what I love about God's signature is not only did he put you together the way that you are and put you together on purpose, but he signed his name on our lives. Now, a person's name is how you represent yourself. It's your character. And when you put on the name of God, you're saying, I want to be like God. In the very early scriptures of your Bible in the Old Testament, the very first church, when they gathered people for church, the, the Bible tells us that God said, I want all the pastors or leaders to declare the name of God on them. Here's what it says, Numbers chapter 6 and 27 says, God said, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. And so each week that we've been studying the Hebrew names of God, there are eight of them, by the way, and this is week six. If you missed some of the others, they're all available for you online. And can I tell you, they speak to the current context of what we're going through. The current struggles with racism, the current uh, struggles with COVID-19, the signature of God, his character and his nature speak to these issues. And so each week we've been just saying, God signed his name on your life when he put you together. He signed righteous. He, he signed sanctified or holy. He signed provided for. God is taking care of us and working in us. And so each week as your pastor, maybe I'm your new pastor, maybe you're just finding church anew in this season. Can I tell you what we've been trying to do as your pastor is to put the name of God on 
so that God can actually bless you. And more than ever, more than ever, I think we have to see that every one of us is a masterpiece. I think we need to see the masterpiece of God in every color, in every creed, in every difference we have in the world. We need to start calling that out. Can we do that together? No, we need to just start seeing it in people and say, oh, I love you. You're a masterpiece. God put you together for such a time as this. I rarely kind of really push going back and watching messages, but I really believe this series, this series that we've in is, is pivotal for our church because the mission of our church is always to be a place that's for all people, to provide an environment where we can look like heaven and look like our city. And by seeing and really allowing this to take hold in our lives, it's changing us and it's making us better. Now, today, as we jump into this part of our series, I'm taking you back to the Old Testament of your Bible. Now, some of you through Disney movies or other may, may have heard of Moses and, and how God provided a great exodus. That's actually in the book of Exodus of your Bible. He provided a great exodus for people who had been living in slavery for 430 years. The Hebrew people were enslaved and under Pharaoh's control, and God delivered them. And in the process of God delivering them, he brought them all the way to the edge of God's promised land. Now, the promised land is just a great picture of fulfillment, of purpose, of you living a life that's like, man, I am living the best life that I could ever live. And so God brought them all the way up to the edge of the promised land, but he wanted to teach them that they weren't, needed God to be their king rather than a person. They got to the edge of the promised land and God said, I'm gonna do a little leadership change and I'm gonna insert a Joshua into the situation. If you know the story, it's Moses to Joshua and then there's the book of Joshua, which is where I got my name and why I feel like God has just called me to do this, all right? Bad preacher jokes just go with them, all right? But, uh, but you know, God, God sees a problem, he inserts a Joshua, all right? And my wife will tell you that that's my personality. I am, I, I am a confronter of problems in the world, all right? I, I have no problem. She said, you have the gift of confrontation. I said, oh, you see it as a gift, praise God. It only took 17 years of marriage for her to see me as a gift from God for her, but I am, praise God. Masterpiece. Can I say that in church, all right? All right, I'm just making sure with me. So if you follow along, book of Exodus, God delivers all the people. Okay, we get in the book of Joshua, they begin to conquest and take over the promised land. They begin to take possession of the purpose of God for their lives. Well, God wanted them to learn that he wanted to be their king. He wanted to be their leader. And so instead of raising up another person after Joshua to take over, he decided that he would raise up leaders in times of need. And we get to the book of Judges in your Old Testament of your Bible. And the book of Judges is just story after story of the people of God getting close to God and then unfortunately making some mistakes and falling away. And then God would raise up a judge, some women leaders, some female leaders, some men leaders. Some, so they would step in and they would restore order to the nation and say, hey, you're God going the wrong way. And so the book of Judges isn't a book of judgments, okay? It's not a book of condemnation. It's a book of leaders who are stepping into problems and fixing them. And so we pick up the story in Judges chapter 6, where an angel is talking with this guy, Gideon. And he's trying to get Gideon to become the leader of the nation because they have been oppressed for many, many years again. See, here's what happens. When you fall into sin and when you fall away from God, you begin to deal with all the things that God never wanted for your life. You start living in bondage. 
People start imprisoning you and holding you back. And so this, this is what has happened in the context. And so an angel is trying to talk to Gideon about becoming the leader that God wants him to be. And in the conversation, uh, Gideon, he's a little thrown off because he doesn't realize he's talking to God. He doesn't realize that he's talking to an angel of God. Judges chapter 6, verse 22, here's what it says. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, can I just tell you that sounds like poetic and it sounds pretty, but, but he just realized that he was talking to God and that was like, instead of cussing, he said, alas. <laughs> instead of, because he was freaked out in the moment, he realized that I'm just having a conversation with God and, and, and in the middle of that, he really wanted to say some things he probably shouldn't have said, so y'all try it with me. He screams, alas. Wouldn't that change interstate today? Like somebody cuts you off, you're like, alas, sovereign Lord, touch them. <laughs> I'm commissioning you all to, to add a new word to your dictionary, okay? Instead of some of those other ones that you use occasionally, alas. It's a great four-letter word, all right? Oh, man. Go back to the verse for me. Judges, he says, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it. Come on, read it with me. The Lord is peace, which is Jehovah Shalom in your Bible. If you're taking notes with me, Jehovah Shalom is often a greeting that you, would, you might receive from someone who comes from a Hebrew descent or a Jewish descent and might say Shalom. They're saying peace to you. And a lot of people would respond and also with you. It's a response or a greeting with people, but we've missed the point that God is Jehovah Shalom. So many people in our world today are just, they're wanting peace. We just want peace and, and, and we don't want war. We don't want struggle. We don't want challenge. We just, we just want peace, but I don't think we even know really what that means. In the middle of this situation, Gideon is the most unlikely of leaders. He's the least of leaders in the least of tribes. And he begins to say, you know, why, why should you ever use me? And God said, because I want to show that in your greatest moments of weakness, it's God who has the power to work through us. He wants to show that we may not feel that we can, but God can through us. And so he realizes that God is going to use him to bring peace to their nation, which we we need more than ever right now. We need the peace of God in our nation, but many of us don't understand what it is. So he is Jehovah Shalom. Write it down with me. Here's the benefit. When you have Jehovah Shalom in your life, you have peace and sanctuary. Peace is this inward protection. Sanctuary is this outward protection. When you go into a place of sanctuary, you're protected on the outside and you have peace on the inside. But can I tell you, there are also times when God calls you to go outside the sanctuary and bring the peace that's on the inside and bring that into places that it doesn't feel safe or it doesn't feel protected and you bring the peace with you. See, the benefit of knowing him like this is you begin to have, you begin to have peace on the inside and sanctuary on the outside. Now, as soon as I mention this, people say, well, you know, there's been wars and rumors of wars and more wars and more rumors of wars. We're just living in this time of turmoil. It's never going to end. And peace is, it's, it's a nice idea, God, you know, but, but peace never lasts. It's almost like peace is this elusive unicorn. Have y'all heard of a unicorn before? 
Yeah, okay, like, you know, like, has anybody actually seen a unicorn? No, it's like, well, I've, you know, you've seen a painting of the, one of them, but it's like, like peace is, it, it's, it's something we've heard the myth about, we thought about, but, but is there really peace in my heart? Can I, can I really experience peace where I have a confidence to go through this life, trusting that God's gonna work it all out? Yes, I believe you can. But can I tell you, I wanna move us past this mythical idea and move you into a reality of peace in your life. When my daughter turned five, uh, right before her birthday, I was like, I was like Liv, what do, you, what, do you, what do you want for your birthday? You know, like anything you want. She, you know, some people get ponies, dad. I want a unicorn, all right? Can I tell you how much pressure that puts on a dad right there? I'm like, can I rent a pony and a horn? And <laughs> like, is there something we can do to fix this? But here's the deal. Peace, peace is not a unicorn. It is the character and the nature of who God actually is. Take some notes with me. Here's an important truth to understand today. Peace isn't the absence of trouble. This is so important. Because we misunderstand what peace is, like Gideon talking to an angel, he misread the room because he thought that peace was the absence of trouble. He misread the room and he, he thought an angel who was there to protect him was an assassin. Do y'all realize that so many of us are misreading the rooms that we're in and we're not ready or prepared to speak the way that we should speak because we're misunderstanding that trouble is where God has called us to get involved with. Trouble is the place that God has called Christians to jump into. And so peace isn't the absence of trouble. John chapter 16 and 33. I'm gonna give you a piece of the verse four different ways, okay? John chapter 16, 33, and I'd recommend every one of you memorize this verse at some point. It's a life-changing verse. John 16, 33, it's gonna be on screen. Come on, in every location, would you read the words? In this world, you will have trouble. Pastor, could you be more encouraging? Yes, I can. But I also need to be honest with you too. That's Jesus talking. And unless you're different than I understand, you're in this world with me. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace isn't the absence of a storm. Peace isn't the absence of COVID-19. Peace isn't the absence of racism. Peace is something that God does on the inside of your life. In this world you have trouble, but listen, we're called to eat trouble for lunch, everybody. We're called to engage with and confront with the unrest and the anger and the frustration and say, no, in this world you have trouble, but what you need is the answer to that trouble. Second thing you need to know, and that is peace isn't the absence of trouble, it's the presence of God. See, it's, it's not that the storm stopped, it's that you have God in the middle of the storm. It's a beautiful story in the New Testament of your Bible where their disciples were sent across the lake and they were, you know, the storm started raging. They thought, God, you, you, you brought us in a boat just to kill us. And Jesus was sleeping in the boat. I mean, he wasn't going to drown them while he slept, okay? I mean, sometimes we, we get very, like, just, you know, again, angel and we think assassin. That's not who Jesus is, all right? We misread the situation. He's trying to teach them that in the midst of the greatest trouble, you can have peace. John 16, 33, same verse. I told you these things so that in me, two key words, where do you find peace? It's in him. In me. See, peace is in the presence of God. 
Many of us, we've been living this roller coaster. It's like the storm is raging. What am I gonna do? You know, he loves me, he loves me not on Facebook. She loves me, she loves me not on Facebook. She likes, she, he doesn't like. They said this, they didn't say that. And you're riding the roller coaster trying to find something that that situation can't give you. See, peace may mean that nothing on the outside changes, but something changes on the inside of you. Because it's in him that we find peace. Third truth, as you allow this to develop, I'm not trying to get rid of trouble, I'm trying to get God in the midst of my trouble. I begin to have peace, and we run, understand that peace is the confidence that we overcome trouble. I, I need us to understand as Christians that God has not called us to uh, disengage from the problems of the world and have a, what my dad used to call a holy huddle. Y'all know what a holy huddle is? We, we find four people who believe everything the same way we believe, that look just the same way that we look, and we, we huddle together, and we hunker down until Jesus returns, and it's all going to be good when Jesus returns. You know, that's not what God's called you to do. The Bible says that God has called you to go into the world and bring his kingdom to earth. Preaching better than y'all are amen, okay? I'm just trying to help you, okay? I need you to understand this. We're supposed to recognize that there's something that God is gonna put in the inside of us that gives us the power to overcome trouble. And so when someone starts spewing hate, you don't run the other way. You engage with the love of God, the grace of God, the peace of God. You begin to speak empathetic and kind and moving words. You speak the word of God to them and all of a sudden that hate begins to change. I know it's easier to go to the holy huddle, isn't it? Come on, it's easier to say, us four and no more. We're going to heaven and to hell with the rest of you. Can I say that in church? I just said hell in church, okay? I did, all right? Yeah. That, that, that's our mindset. It's like, I'm good. I'm not worried about you. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity, listen, when you get in with God, you have already picked a side to confront the evil and the hate of this world. But God doesn't want you to be overcome by that. He wants you to live in his peace as well. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Thanks, God, for reminding me. But take heart. That's confidence, by the way. Courage. Take heart. How, how do you take heart? Well, you get with him. Take heart. I have, come on, say it with me. I have overcome the world. So listen, it's not that, that, that I need to be overwhelmed by these things. I just need to engage with them and realize that God is bigger than the trouble. The closer you are to God, the more you realize that the problems that we're facing are small in comparison to God's ability. You begin to see that God can and wants to do great things. And so you start to look at the situation different. You begin to, as I said earlier, you begin to engage with trouble. I like to say it this way. You start troubling the trouble. Come on, this old preacher years ago, loved him. He'd get all fired up. He said, we're going to trouble our trouble. <laughs> See if that stays with you just a little while. This week when somebody brings you a little trouble and say, all right, we're gonna trouble the trouble and they're gonna look at you like you're nuts, all right? I got it. But, but here's the deal. You begin to think differently about what's going on. Can I just tell you, one of, one of my biggest challenges recently for me in talking with people is, is that the negativity is, is overtaken so many and we just want to withdraw because of the negativity. And I need you to know that the world needs your hope. The world needs your grace. The world needs your voice to say, this is God's way, let's walk in it. See, this craziness that's happening is the enemy is raising certain voices on the fringes, saying the most hateful things and dividing. But if you pick a side, 
you divide from the unity that God really wants us to have. And what we need is to come together like never before and trouble the trouble around us, to push back against it. You overcome by the peace of God that's on the inside. Here's the last. Peace is trusting in God's providence. That may be a new word for some of you, but, but I need you to see this, that, that God knows what's happening. This is not taking... God, God's not in heaven saying, oh my gosh, what's happening? <laughs> he doesn't say like, oh me, what am I gonna do in this situation? No, 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 he knows what's going on and he has a plan. Beginning of John 16, 33, just breaking down one verse to you to see simple truths. Jesus starts John 16, 33 by saying, I have told you these things. It's the original, I told you so, Okay. Jesus is the originator of, I told you so, okay? Like, so he says, there's gonna be a point where you don't know what to do or where to go and you're gonna have to trust that God is going to tell you what you need to know. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is a refrigerator verse, by the way. This is ought to be one, just like on game day when you're heading out to the field, you ought to come by and tap the wall and say, that's right, God, I, you told me that it was gonna be rough on the field, but as I get out on the field, I know what to do with the trouble that's on the field. I know how to engage, why? Because I've got the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the grace of God. I've got the self-control to not say some things. Huh, wouldn't that change our world? A few people just didn't say anything. And a few people said some things. Like, we, we need the voice of reason to be louder than the voice of insanity that's around us today. It's going to happen. It's going to happen when we begin to engage like never before. When we begin to challenge this and we trust in the providence of God. So God has a plan. He began a great plan. He's working that plan. Not in your notes, but just a couple extra providential verses. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love God and those who are called according to his purpose. It's a providential verse that says, even when you think it's all going to hell in a handbasket, God can turn that for good. Even when you think it doesn't, well, I just don't think, I don't know how we, how are we gonna be a church that's for black people and white people? Well, you know, it's amazing. God's for black people and white people. And so it's real easy. God takes black people who have been hurt and he encourages them. And he takes white people who have done the hurt or been hurt and encourages them. God builds a family of people together of every color, every nation, and every creed. Amen, everybody? This is what he does. And so instead of stepping back and saying, how's it gonna happen? Listen, God is big enough to do the miracle. If only we will open our hearts and minds to him changing something on the inside and letting that inside begin to bubble out into the, the heart of God in our nation. And most importantly, if I just step back, everyone says, what's going on in our nation, in our world? How about what's just going on at your house? I mean, with all that's going on in our nation, in our world, how about you and I just change? How about peace just happens at home, and then the next door, they start going, what's going on? Y'all are okay? I mean, like, yeah, we're doing great. And then you have a little piece of that. And then your block changes. Then your neighborhood changes. Then your city changes. And we become an advocate of change where we're bringing the peace of God to the world. I just, I think it can happen. Everyone wants peace. And it's available to us through Jesus Christ. But it's going to have to come into our lives by changing the way we engage with and deal with 
Some people say, I just don't have any peace. Well, listen, if you're saying that your peace is dependent upon everything around you going right and there being no trouble, then you misunderstand. He wants to settle some things right here. I actually had somebody uh, in our church uh, call me and he said, you know, you know, I, they're, they're close, like they're, they're leaders in our church and they see a lot. And, and, and listen, this has been a roller coaster. Y'all been living on a roller coaster. We've been, this is our like church in person for months now. Uh, I mean, for the first few weeks, we did church in my living room because they shut down every facility. Y'all remember this? Go back and see. You want to know what my living room looks like? Okay, it's online, all right? I mean, we got two days notice that we couldn't meet in our facility. Two days notice. And, and we jumped in and praised God for an amazing team that rallied around. But, you know, that, that was a little turmoil. We had church there. We did two weeks and then cooler heads prevailed. And they said, well, you can go into the room, but you can only have 10 people. I'm like, do you realize that it takes 11 people just to work the cameras, the computers, and have people on stage? But that first week, we honored them. We had 10 people. And we had a couple of people, like, working things with their feet, okay? Like... <laughs> Doing this and I'm doing that, you know, like, uh, don't put that clip online, okay? Like, uh, someone's going to get, don't do it, Corey, okay? Like, somebody's going to get that leg shaking thing. Don't do it. <laughs> it's a big moment. We had church in person. We, we had church in the living room. It's a big moment. We had, we had 10 people in the room. And, and then we moved in here and we had t- 10 people in the room. And, and I'm trying to be excited about talking to a camera, just a camera. It's not as easy as you think. Like, was that, I mean, did that even make sense? People are like, yeah, that made sense. I'm like, all right, we'll try it again next week. So we're riding the roller coaster just like you are. You're riding it wondering when's school going to go back or not. Some of you have been working crazy hours. I actually thought, well, maybe this will slow down a little bit. But can I tell you, on the pastoral care front in our church, just took off. Never had the phone ring so many times. So thankful for a team that loves people because the amount of time they spent talking to people. But the roller coaster has been a big roller coaster. Come on. She's clapping. I don't know about y'all, okay? (laughs) Have to give a huge shout out to our staff, our ministry team that goes beyond for just caring for and loving people. But the roller coaster is big. And one of our leaders called me one day and after a long conversation of like lots of frustration and pain, she just said, and how is it that you're all right? How is it that you're not freaking out? And I said, well, hold on, hold on. I do have my moments. If you call my wife, she knows when I walk downstairs uh, out of the home office and I say, I'm going for a worship walk. She knows that the worship walk is code for, I'm about to say some other things and I need to go talk to God and have an alas moment with him. <laughs> alas, sovereign Lord. What are you doing in the middle of this? I need to have a moment with God. And that's, that's my answer. What's me? That's going to find my peace in him. So I said, listen, don't, don't put me too high on a pedestal, but can I tell you why I'm doing so well overall? It's because I keep finding those moments with him. And because I've been with God long enough to know that I can look back and say, God, you worked that out too. You're going to work this out. I, I, I have enough thankful moments of God in the past that I can trust him in the one I don't know right now. And for some of us, that's where we are. You need to settle all of this in you first before you try to settle it with a tweet or a quote or a Facebook post. Or you Listen, you need to settle it in you and let the peace of God change you. And then it'll begin to change the world around you. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to your whole body. 
So when there's peace on the inside, there's a smile on the outside. There's joy in every context. Why? Because everything you've been dreaming for is happening. Yesterday, I had kind of a whirlwind of a day. I, 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 I jumped on a plane very, very early morning to fly to Dallas for a young couple that's been in our church that their wedding uh, was supposed to happen right in the middle of all of this craziness. And so the venue got canceled and all their plans got canceled and they, they found a spot. He's from Dallas, she's from here. They found a spot in Dallas that they could actually make it all come together for a beautiful ceremony. They literally chose a venue by like 360 view online, okay? And so they, they found a place that allowed them to have it and said, Pastor, is there any way you can make it to Texas? I'm like, we're going back to church in person. I can't miss that one. Can y'all imagine me inviting y'all all to church and I didn't come? It's safe. It's safe. <laughs> wasn't going to do that to you. So, so it's like, okay, if we can work out the flights, we can make it happen. And world, when we got there, we get into the, the service. I mean, everything's beautiful. This is a day they had planned for, but because of COVID-19, everything was thrown into disarray, and they're, they're doing the best they can. They've got just a few people who could travel in in a beautiful venue, and we're standing there, and can I just tell you, she was so excited. She was, listen, if you know Victoria and Brooks, if you know them, they're just a, they're a delight to be around and a joy. And he, he, was, he was so overwhelmed with her that he, he didn't even remember to say, I do. <laughs> we went through all, I'm like, it's I do, Brooks. You know, like, it's I do. And they're probably watching, love you, man, okay? And then we got to her and she didn't even let me say the vow. She just screamed, I do, I do. I said, do you want to hear, for better, for worse, till death do us part, for richer, for poorer? And, and I just thought how all of the turmoil was finally at peace and how it came out of her. I think it's a great picture for us. Many of the ladies in the room, it's an easier picture of dreaming of that wedding day and it all coming together. But I need you to know that God wants to do something in you so that it can come out of you. And if you're open, he'll do it today. He'll begin the work today. The question really is How? Many of you, if you've followed me for any amount of time, you know that I focus a lot of attention on how because I don't think you just need to be inspired. You actually need to know what to go do. I always say that, that, that Sunday preaching has to pass the who cares test on Monday. It's gotta get us to the place of like, okay, well, what do I do because I don't have peace? What do I do because I'm in the middle of a storm right now? Well, let me give you just a few things. Take some notes with me. The first thing you need to start doing is praying. It sounds like the most simple thing to do, but it's the first response of Gideon. He started talking to the angel. Praying is very, very powerful if you'll begin to bring what you're going through to God. And it doesn't need to be formal. It doesn't mean that you gotta have it all figured out. It doesn't have to sound like the King James Bible. You know, God, wilt thou come unto me and help me? No, 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 just God, I'm in desperate need for you. I think many of us, we, we, we even misunderstand praying, and talk, but praying changes our perspective when we begin to talk to God. As I told you, flew to Dallas yesterday, very early morning, and after the long day of travel, I was getting on a plane to fly back to New Orleans, and can I just be honest with you as your pastor that sometimes, especially the late flights, I'm kind of praying that when I get in that the person sitting near me is someone who does not want to talk. Love people, love to see people, but sometimes I don't want to be locked into a counseling session for as long as the flight's going to be. 
And so sometimes I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I put on the hat, you know, put, put on the headphones. Anybody do this? Come on. Am I the only one? Some of y'all acting like I, I need prayer. I probably do, but, but I'm just kind of going in saying, God, just, just, just make this one of those, like just she or he wants to sleep and so do I for this ride home. Soon as I get on the plane, you know, they're not letting us sit too close together. We move over. Oh, that, 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 sir, this is a great seat for you here. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get in. And immediately, immediately she says, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> I got my headphones. I'm so ready to hit play on anything. To fall asleep. I was like. You're going to be okay. Oh, baby, I haven't been on a plane in a long time. I knew she was from New Orleans area for sure when she called me baby. Oh, baby, honey, we're going to be all right. Oh, baby, you know, like, I don't know what I'm going to do right now. She goes on of like, how she moved from New Orleans area, born and raised here. She moved to Texas and she's living in Dallas for right pre-Katrina and stayed there because of all the craziness. And I mean, she's just going and going and going and going and going. And I'm like, I mean, I know more about you. I don't even know your name. So I thought, okay, just be a good pastor right now. Don't even tell you you're a pastor, but just be a good pastor, you know? Because if you tell you're a pastor, you're in trouble, all right? And so I said, well, what, what's your name? My name is Granetta. So she said, you know, I'm a grandmother. I said, oh, Granetta, it's good to meet you. I'm Josh. Oh, Josh. I mean, I just, I just need somebody to talk to. I, I mean, like, I haven't been on a plane in so long. My, my kids came to Dallas, and they packed me up, and they put me in the truck, put everything in the truck, and they're driving over, and they put me on a plane. I haven't been on a plane, like, I don't know how long. I mean, she just kept saying the same thing over and over and over again. <clears throat> And I realized, I had this moment, I said, you know, I just, I thought it, I didn't say it out loud. I said, you know, Granetta, just, she needs to talk it through. And it's a great picture that I got to be a part of that for her. We got to the end of the flight and she said, hey, thanks for talking me down. I said, well, I didn't say that much. <laughs> This is prayer. This is what prayer looks like. I, I, God is able to hear your cries. He's able to hear your context. And he, he wants to hear from you. And when you do, it's just like Granada. You just, you're starting to offload. And it's in that offloading that the trouble begins to get smaller. And your God begins to get bigger. And the peace of God begins to affect your whole situation. Listen to how Philippians 4 says. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Man, he had to put the word anything in there. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God surpasses, one translation says, your understanding. So you should be freaking out, but you're not. Why? It's the peace of God. You should be overcome by what's happening in the world, but we're not. Why? Because I'm in him. I'm with him, and he is in me, and I have the peace of God to overcome the trouble in the world. I'm staying on this one longer. I know I only have like four minutes. Piano player's supposed to be here right now, okay? Take your time, Zamir, okay? Take your time. <clears throat> We're not praying enough. 
Number two, we need to start entrusting Christ with everything. To entrust someone is to literally take what you have and give it to them. So I entrust my parents with my children. I'm saying that they, (laughs) hey, Samir. (laughs) I think too many of us are trying to carry our problems by ourselves. See, if I am not careful, your weights and pains will become my weights and pains. The Bible says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. You know that. But we misunderstand that we're supposed to bear those burdens as we bring them to Christ together. My shoulders aren't big enough to carry everything you go through. Yours aren't big enough to carry everything you go through. Do you understand that? So what I'm supposed to do is get really good at saying, oh, oh, I see that. I understand that. It's overwhelming. Hey, let's do this together. God, here's my job. I don't know if it's going to be here next week. Hey, God, I'm not sure if my family member who's contracted this disease is going to live. Hey, let's carry it together. Y'all ready? We entrust him. We are called to carry burdens. We're not called to carry them far. Some of you have been trying to carry, trying to carry all this. I can't carry all this. I can't, I, I have given up. And God said, in my weakness, that's when he's the strongest. That's when he shows up the most. And so what I'm challenging you to talk to him about it, but then carry it to him. I wake up every day. God, you know my kids. Oh, you know my kids, God. Okay, they're gonna need you. God, you, you know what's going on. You know, God. And I'm constantly going from one side to the other and I'm bringing God my life. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The word cast literally means to violently throw it out of your lap. I'm all going to say, ain't my problem anymore, God. Here you go. Here you go. Some of you need to do this. It'll change your life. Number three, you need to start applying truth to your thought life. So many of us have a humanistic view of truth. We've even coined the phrase, well, I've just got my truth. And I'm just gonna share my truth with you. And listen, it is your truth. Your truth is what you believe. I get it, I get it. It is your truth, but your truth may not be true. Your truth may be your experience, but that experience may be, may be based upon a lie. Your experience is true. It happened to you, but it might be based upon a fallen, person, fallen person's interaction with you. So a sinful person hurt you and that became your truth. And what if you would open your heart to a righteous person healing you and that becomes your truth? Y'all follow me today? So, so we, have, we have this, this it's very misguided. We're, we're, we need to get back to God's word because God's word is true. We need to apply like, like ointment on a wound. You know what racism needs right now? Ointment on the wound. And instead of pretending the wound isn't real, we need to walk up and say, oh my gosh, God heals. See, we'll pray for healing from COVID-19 as a sickness But many of us don't realize that we all have sickness in our lives. And you're thinking, I'm going to jump right in to say, well, that sickness is racism in our culture. No, you know, the sickness we all have is sin. And it's because of sin that we have hatred and racism. It's because of sin that we have the pain in our world. And we need to go a little bit deeper and apply truth. Psalm 119 and 165 says, great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. 
great peace have people who love the truth of God. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. You're going to have to apply truth to your thought life. You're going to say, God, you said, and I'm going to let go of everything else. I got to keep on moving. Come on, you with me? Number four, we need to start consecrating our actions. You want peace? Consecration means that you're going to set your actions apart to do better than what you did in the past. And so some of us need to realize that, that you don't have peace because what you're doing, sin will never create peace. And in order to get free from that trouble, you may have to let go of some, some words, some actions, some deeds. You may say, well, well, maybe I don't need to do that anymore. It's probably time. Proverbs 16 and 7 says, when the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. So when God sees your actions and how that they're honoring to him, he says, I'm going to calm down all that craziness. We need to consecrate our actions. Here's the last we close today. Number five, we may need to establish some boundaries. Might be time to set a time limit for your social media apps on your phone. Four minutes. <laughs> That's what you get. I'm joking, but if I didn't go to extreme, if I said an hour, some of y'all be like five hours. I got a little alert that comes on and say, you've been on this long, and that long is too long already. What I'm saying to you is sometimes we're living the roller coaster because we've allowed the roller coaster into our lives. And I'm not saying get away from the trouble. I'm just saying don't get it in you. Change you. Establish some boundaries. You know, I'm going to follow God's word more than the news. My response isn't going to be humanistic. It's going to be biblical. I'm going to have a biblical response, not a political response. Can, can I be a Christian and be a Democrat? Yes, you can. Can I, can I be a Christian and be a Republican? Yes, you can. can. Can I be a Christian and be an independent? Yes, you can. But here's the deal. You're a Christian before you're any of those other things. Listen, even before we get into how you grew up and where you grew up and the color of your skin, as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God, and that should define who we are. And that's where peace is found, and it's time for us to establish the boundary. Matthew 10 and 13 says, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. Let your peace. Can I tell you, I believe that your home is deserving. Today, I want the peace of God that's in me to rest in you. Jesus said, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. But if it is not, let your peace return to you. You can walk into a volatile situation, offer peace. If they reject the peace, you can walk out in peace. You can be at peace. I believe that God wants to do that miracle in us first. Would you bow with me in every room? Just take a moment. Don't get distracted. Don't get in a rush. Heavenly Father, we need you right now. If you're under the sound of my voice today and you're far from God for any reason, maybe all of this craziness has distracted you from the love of God. Maybe you were like me and you prayed some prayers when you were a kid and you felt close to God, but you've fallen away. Maybe you've really never followed Jesus. The Bible says that if you'll put your faith in Jesus, He'll begin to quiet the storm in your life. He'll begin to transform the way that you think. And right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd like to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, that's the beginning of peace. It begins with him. You're one prayer away from making that decision. I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to stand. I won't even ask you to come to the front. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you need Jesus in your life, would you whisper this prayer?
I'll give you the words. You just have to say it with all of your heart. Say it right after me. Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for trying to live this life on my own? And God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name.